0: Again, I hope you have your Bibles open to the book of Jonah, and we're going to read some of the verses in just a moment, but let us once again pray. (laughs) Father, Lord, I thank you that you are a God of the second chance. Lord, so often in life we blow it, and we fail so miserably in so many ways, but Lord, I am so grateful that your love compels you to continue to to stay with us and to fellowship with us and to lead us and to give us that second chance father i'm grateful that your mercy is so great and your love for us is unending and father i just pray that as we study about jonah's life that if there's something going on in our life that we need a second chance with father just help us to learn from the word of god that you will give us that second chance Father, please bless us in these moments. Take, Lord, your word and what you did in Jonah's life and help it to apply it to our lives and to see you in a greater and clearer way and be enabled to serve you in a greater way. In Jesus' name, amen. This, as you can see, is the fifth Sunday that we've talked about the second chance God. The Bible is full of people whom God gave second chances to. And let me, we've been mentioning this every time, but I want to mention it again. The first passage that we studied was about Peter and the disciples right after Jesus told them that he would be betrayed and that they would forsake him and they would flee away from him and that he would be crucified. The Lord gave them a second chance. Jonah is an example of an Old Testament prophet that God gave a second chance. Others who had second chances in the Bible, the woman at the well, John 4, the woman caught in the very act of adultery, John 8, Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul the great missionary, given a second chance to turn and receive the Lord Jesus and to serve him. King David, after adultery, murder, and lying, God gave him a second chance. And folks, here's the good news for you and me. God wants to give you and I a second chance. So let's read these passages out of Jonah. Again, I encourage you to follow in your Bible, or you can look at the overhead. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Please notice three times it's going to be stated that Jonah was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Jaffa and found a a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish away From the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried to his God. And again, underscore, this is God with a small g. And they threw the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had laid down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, Why do you mean, you sleeper, arise, call upon your god, little G? All right? Perhaps the god, little G, will give a thought to us that we do not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Whence do you come? What is your country? And of what people are you? Now listen to verse 9. And Jonah said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear who? The Lord, capital L. The God, capital G, of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now folks, there's a little irony in that. If he really feared God like he said he did, he wouldn't be on the boat going to Tarshish. He'd be going to Nineveh, correct? To serve the Lord. Verse 10, Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of who? The Lord. Because he had told them, then he said to him, What shall we do that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Take me up, throw me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that, that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to bring the ship back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried. Now listen, they had been praying to whom? God, little g. But look at verse 14. Who do they cry out to? The Lord. Now, you remember, and, and it was back when we were studying Psalms 23, The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is capitalized in the Old Testament because that represents the God of all gods. So, now, folks, look at what's happened. These sailors, these mariners who had worshiped many gods and who prayed to a God, little g, are now calling out to who? The Lord. The Lord. For we beseech thee, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and nay, lay not on us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. I love this. The men feared the Lord exceedingly. They offered a sacrifice to who? The Lord. And they made vows to the Lord. These sailors got saved, so to speak. They turned from God, little g, to the Lord who created the heavens and the earth. Verse 17, did you think it could get any worse for Jonah? And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Chapter 2, verse 1, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Verse 10, and the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah upon the dry land and two other verses that I didn't give Fran this week but I want to read to you chapter three verses one and two. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the what? The second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. Well, I want to pick up where we left off last week. What is the book of Jonah about? It is not simply a story about a great fish that is only mentioned four times. It's not simply about a great city, Nineveh, that's named nine times. Nor even about a disobedient prophet, Jonah, mentioned or named 18 times. This book is about who? It is about God. God is mentioned 38 times in these four chapters, 48 verses. And this book is about God about the will of God for our lives and how you and I can respond to the will of God. And it's also about the love of God and how God wants his children, his church, to share his love with all the world. And let me read once again to you Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And, folks, we read these verses often. I know that. But, folks, from the very beginning of Scripture, God has a purpose and plan for all who follow him. This goes back to Abraham. Listen to this. Now, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your kindred, your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. Now, read that last phrase with me so that you will be a blessing everything and anything that God has done for you and me everything and anything that God has done for us as a church God has done it so that we will get into the center of his will and will be a blessing to others and we will pass on his love to others can I have an amen because I believe I believe that's it and folks So often, as Christians and as a church, we receive all of God's blessing, we receive all of God's love, but we refuse to be in the center of God's will, so we hold back His love from from others. And, folks, there's a fifth thing about Jonah, the book of Jonah. No one, not even Jonah, should have been surprised by God speaking to him because God has been speaking to man ever since creation. Amen? And he has, folks. It is God's nature to speak to mankind. He wants to speak to you and me. He wants to speak to us as a church. So, folks, with all this in mind, let's get to the text, okay? And, folks, let me point something out that I didn't realize until this past week. You remember uh, last week? just documenting that Jonah was a real person who lived in real time and who lived on the earth hundreds of years ago. You remember we read Second Kings chapter 14, verse 25, and Mackenzie, if you'll pull that up, listen to this verse, okay? And let me tell you the background of this is Jeroboam had become king, and God was blessing Israel through this king, although he was a wicked king. But during those days, Jonah the prophet had made a prophecy that God would restore the boundaries of Israel, which the enemies of Israel had captured. And you might be wondering, well, what is this about? What importance does this have? Let me read the verse, and then I'll tell you. He, Jeroboam, restored the border of Israel from the entrance of Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabi, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant, who? Jonah. Jonah the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hefer. Folks, here's the point. Jonah was probably a very popular man in Israel. A lot of the prophets prophesied things that never came true because they were not prophesying the word of God. They were, in, they were prophets for their own gain. But, but Jonah's prophecies had come true. And Jonah was well-respected. He had been a successful man, and God had been speaking through him. But, folks, in chapter 1, this prophet who had been so successful now begins to rebel against God. And Jonah will not accept the mission that God now has for him. And, folks, I want to point something out. And I think years ago we, we looked at the book of Jonah That first word is one of the most important words in the entire 48 verses to understand what's going on. And in your translation, in the King James RSV that I have, it's translated now, it also could be and. Now, please hang with me for just a second, okay? This book begins with a very important Hebrew word and concept and I'm not trying to bore you, and I'm certainly not trying to show that I'm intelligent because I am not, okay? But I had to take two years of Hebrew in, in seminary. And John Durham, who was one of, the, one of the Old Testament professors, loved the book of Jonah. And he loved this word. It was called in Hebrew consecutive wah. And I know that really means a lot, doesn't it? That really all struck you. But, but listen, this Hebrew word, Begins 14 Old Testament books. That's what Warren Wiersbe says. And let me tell you the importance of that. If you and I began a book with the word and, or now, would you, would you shut the door? If you and I began a, a book, if you opened a book and it said and, that was the first word, you'd say, Well, I'm missing something. Something must already be going on. And folks, here's what the writer is saying. Here's what Jonah is trying to say. This book is just a continuation of the acts of God in the history of the nation of Israel and the lives of individuals. And I believe this is what Jonah is trying to tell us with the first word. Jonah is trying to tell us his story is much deeper than about his life. It's about all of us. This book is about my life, and it's about your life, and about the life of this church. God has a plan. He has a purpose. He has a mission for us. Will we accept that mission? And let me point something out. You know, so often we think, well, God hadn't had anything to do with our lives. Maybe on the day that we got saved, we say, well, you know, God was really dealing with me then, but that was it. And I'm just treading water, so to speak. I'm just passing time until he calls, until I die, and he calls me home to heaven. Folks, Jonah would have you and I understand that our life is a life that God has a plan for. And if there's nothing else you hear this morning, would you hear that? You and I, our church, shouldn't be surprised when God speaks to us and commissions us and gives us a task and a mission because God has been doing this throughout history. This is God's very nature to speak to his children, to speak to his church and say, I've got something for you to do. And you know what? He's probably spoken to many of us. Where are we at? Are we like Jonah, folks, I'm getting ahead of myself. Here's what I want to ask you. What and or now does God want to happen next in my life, in your life, and in the life of this church? You know, so often we're planning what's going on, what we hope will go on in the future of our lives, but is it in accordance with the will of God? Have we said to God, listen, I know that my life is a gift from you, and I want to give my life back to you as a gift. And so... God comes to Jonah and he says, Jonah, this is what I want you to do with your life. But listen to this. Listen to this. And again, I'm getting ahead of myself. Verse 1, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Folks, this is divine communication. God initiates the conversation communication process. I love David Ring. Y'all remember David Ring? He was born with cerebral palsy, and he's a great evangelist. I haven't heard him lately, but over the years, you remember he had uh, physical impediments, speech impediments. And I remember hearing his testimony one time, and he said one night he was just lying in his bed, minding his own business when God spoke to him. I love the way he puts that. And he's saying that he was just living an ordinary life when God spoke to his heart. Folks, God had already used Jonah and Jonah would not have been surprised that God was going to speak to him again. Folks, you and I, we say, well, God spoke to me and I responded. I asked Jesus to come into my heart and be my savior. And do we do we think that he's not going to say anything else to us? And again, I'm not being sarcastic. I do not mean it that way. Satan wants us to believe that that's the only thing that God's interested in is our soul and our salvation. And, folks, he is, and we've talked about that. But he is interested in our lives counting for him. And, folks, we're not told exactly how the Word of God came to to Jonah. But Jonah knew that it was from God. And, again, forgive me for, for being so personal And I've got, in my notes, share this in humility, and I want you to know I'm saying this very humbly. I can't fully explain to you how God called me into the ministry, and I don't know why he did that, but I know that it was him, not me, or not anybody else. And I'm saying for each and every one of us, God places a call on our lives. I am so grateful that for the forefathers at Teresa Baptist Church, God placed a call on them. They knew it was God, it was Christ speaking to them, and that's how this church came into existence. And folks, this church will continue as we listen to and respond in obedience to the call of God. And again, I'm not trying to beat you to death with this, but is God speaking to you about service for him? And there are so many places of service I could just begin to mention. Teaching Sunday school, singing in the choir, playing instruments, you name it, being on committees. How about leaving this place and going out and being a servant in the community? How about leaving this place and going out and you don't have to stand anywhere and preach a sermon because you're preaching that sermon every single day that we live, you know that? By what we say, how we act, We're preaching a sermon, and we're either leading people to Jesus or we're sending people away from Jesus. God had a plan to Jonah. He's got a plan for you and I. And listen to what that plan is in verse 2 of chapter 1. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up to me. Now, folks, these first two verses are so very powerful And I want you to see three verses, uh, three lessons in verse two. First of all, God says, arise and go. These are imperatives. These are commands. God is saying to Jonah, here is my plan for your life. Second lesson, God was God of all of the earth. And he was concerned for the spiritual well-being and salvation of all nations. You remember when we got started, we talked about God's purpose and plan. For the entire world, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. As Jesus is ascending back into heaven, he tells his disciples, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And folks, there's a third lesson. The wickedness of Nineveh has come up before God. Folks, we are living in truly a wicked world. Would you say amen to that? We talk about it all the time. I talk about it, and I get frustrated. But listen, it is the God who knows how wicked our earth is that is telling his church, telling you and I, to go out and make disciples. And in two short, precise verses, the commission, the will of God for Jonah is detailed. But listen to verse 3, and the first word in that verse is so important. God has told Jonah, this is what you want to do. But what did Jonah do? Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The rebellion of Jonah is described. You, me, this church are not mind-numbed Robots made to do the will of God. We have been given by God the power to receive and act or rebel and disobey. What did Jonah choose? Jonah chose to rebel and disobey. And so Jonah rose to flee from the presence of the Lord. He paid the fare. He went on board to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Again, again, Notice twice, he is going where? God said, I want you to go to Nineveh. Where is he going? He's heading the other direction. Does that speak of some of us? Why did Jonah reject God's plan? I think there's a lot of reasons. First of all, number one, the personal cost to Jonah. I read, I didn't jot these figures down, I read how far in miles it was from where Jonah was at down to Nineveh. But it was hundreds of miles and it would have taken him months to walk by foot to Nineveh. I ain't going to go there. (laughs) We're the most mobile society there's ever been, I believe. All I got to do is I can't say hop in my Chevrolet truck anymore, but all I got to do is hop in my truck and hit the road. How about cost? And I'm not talking dollars and cents here. Jonah would have had to leave his family and most especially his comfort zone. Now, I remind you again that Jonah had prophesied some things that had happened, and he was a very popular man but God said, Jonah, I've got some more work for you to do. Surely Jonah was thinking that if he went to Nineveh, he could be rejected, he could be laughed out, laughed at, and he could even be killed. Do you realize that? How many of us have been rejected and even laughed at? Secondly, Jonah didn't care about the heathen nation. He wanted them to perish. And Jonah believed that if God, if he went, God would save them. And folks, if you've read the book, you already know this. And if you got your Bible open, turn to chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. After the city of Nineveh repented, in chapter 3, verse 10, listen to how Jonah responded. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Now, who's he angry at? Let's be honest. He's angry at God. And he prayed to the Lord and said, I pray thee, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in love and repenteth of evil. Jonah didn't care about the people in Nineveh. So why did Jonah seek to go down to Tarshish? Some in Jonah's day thought that Israel's God was like the other gods, territorial. Now, this doesn't make sense to us today, and I know that. But, folks, in those ancient biblical times, people thought that there were certain gods who ruled certain areas of the earth. And if Jonah got far enough away, he would be out of the jurisdiction or the range of God. Where is Tarshish? Well, some Bible scholars think that Tarshish was a city in southwest Spain that was about 2,500 miles from Israel. Some think the Hebrew word is Tarshishah, which was an imaginary city or port or distant paradise. It was the Father's corner of the earth where there would be no problems, no commissions from God. Have you ever wanted to go to a place where there wouldn't be any problems, nobody getting on your nerves, nothing just challenging you, nothing upsetting you, nothing causing ulcers, nothing frustrating? Have you ever wanted to go to that place? But Let me point something out that the book of Jonah does. As a Christian in a state of rebellion and disobedience, there's no place where we can hide from God. that's good and that's bad, isn't it? Because if we can't hide from God, we know that his grace and mercy is going to be there for us. But folks, again, Tarshish represents complete indifference to God's plan for our lives. And again, please hear this from my heart as a pastor. How many of us who are members of this church who profess faith in Jesus Christ are right now en route to Tarshish and our relationship with God. We know that there are many, many things that God wants us to do, but we keep saying, don't want to do it right now, God. I'm not ready. I just don't see myself doing that. I don't want to pay the cost, and I'm not talking dollars and cents. So instead of being in the center of God's will, we're in complete indifference to the will of God. Folks, let me, let me go just a little bit farther, and then I'll close, okay? I believe one of the issues with Jonah's rebellion is that it stemmed from him having the wrong attitudes. Attitude is a big deal for us today, isn't it? If you get the wrong attitude about something, man, it can get you in a lot of trouble. Jonah got in trouble because he had the wrong attitude and let me mention the first one, okay? Jonah had the wrong attitude toward the will of God for his life. And I want to say this to the non-believer as well as to you and I as believers here. Satan Satan has tempted us to believe that if we surrender ourselves to the will of God, our life will be miserable, it will be no fun or excitement. People reject us, and we won't, do what, we won't get to do what we want to do. Basically, we, want to get, we won't get to be in control. Let me remind you of some passages of Scripture, and I want to read this and get through these, and we'll close, okay? First of all, look at John 10.10. 10. And again, when I pulled one verse out, I need to give you a little bit of context. Jesus has been talking about being the good shepherd, but he's also talking about how Satan tries to rob life. And the thief in this verse is Satan. Listen to this. Satan comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And if you and I serve Satan, he is going to rob all the joy out of our life. But if we serve Jesus, listen to this. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And I'll testify to the fact that before I was saved, I thought I was having a ball. But I was on the road to hell and my life was empty and had no purpose and meaning. As a Christian, it has been tough. But there has been a joy from the Lord, not me, from the Lord that has made it all worthwhile. Let me read to you out of John 15. This is a lengthy passage of scripture please follow with me i am the jesus speaking i am the true vine my father is a vine dresser every branch of mine that bears no fruit he takes it away and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit you're already made clean by the word which i've spoken to you abide in me and i in you as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine neither can you unless you abide in me folks the key to bearing fruit in the kingdom of god is Abiding in Jesus, being in his will. Verse 5 I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If a man does not abide in me, he is cast forth as a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciple. Folks, do you see what's going on here? When we're in the center of God's will, we bear fruit. Our prayers are answered. uh, Our joy is in uh, the Lord. We bear witness that we're his disciples. Listen to verse nine as a father's loved me. So I've loved you abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things, and this is the verse I wanted to get to verse 11. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. The Lord Jesus does not ask us to get in his will so that he can rob us of any joy of life but so that he could give us the joy of life that your joy may be full two other verses I will mention Philippians 4 4 Now Paul writes this where's he at first Baptist Church in Jerusalem he's in prison I, I have a little sarcasm there folks all right because Baptist preachers always think if I can get to a first Baptist Church I man, I'll be happy you know I'll be happy get to the big church I'll be happy Paul is in prison, and listen to what he says, Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say rejoice. Paul found his joy in being in the center of the will of God, even though it sent him to prison. And one last verse, and I'll close. Psalms 16, Listen to this. Thou didst show me the path of life in thy presence. Look at this. There's fullness of what? Joy. In thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. You know, Satan has tricked us to think that if we get in the center of God's will, we'll be the most unhappy people on the earth. And he is a liar. When we get in the center of God's will, that's when our life is the fullest. And this morning, I want to challenge you again. If you haven't trusted Christ as your personal Savior, he wants to give you another chance. He is reaching out to you through the Holy Spirit saying, come to me. Come to me and let me give you a life worth living. And my Christian brothers and sisters, are we in the will of God? Are we in the will of God as a church? Are we headed to Tarshish or are we headed to Nineveh? Let us pray. Father, I thank you for for these moments. And, Lord, I do pray that you've spoken through your word. And I pray even now as people examine their hearts, both nonbelievers and believers, Lord, that we would let your spirit speak to us. And, Father, I pray that if there's someone here that needs to trust your son as Savior, Lord, perhaps they've been coming to church for years and years, but yet they've never bowed in their hearts And said, Lord, I'm a sinner, but I believe today that you died to save me. And I ask you to be my Savior and to come into my heart. And, Father, I pray for us as Christians. Oh, God, your word makes so clear your will for our lives and for this church. And I just pray, Father, that we'll surrender everything to you. As we stand in a moment and sing this hymn of invitation, Lord, I just pray that your will would be done as we respond to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.